This is KGNU's Morning Magazine for Wednesday, February 15th of 2023. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Coming up on today's program, Adam Frisch has announced his intent to once again challenge Representative Lauren Boebert after last November's very close race. We'll hear from Chalkbeat, Colorado about funding cuts that are forcing the closure of special needs schools. Chris Moore will share his weekly commentary, Make Them Hear You, And then herbalist Brigitte Mars will bring us her regular Wednesday feature, Naturally. A commentary from Jim Hightower is at the bottom of the hour. Then, during a public affair, we'll continue our Black History Month special coverage from History Colorado's Lost Highways podcast series. Today, we'll hear about Colorado's three Black Klansmen, African-American men who went undercover to pull the hoods off of white supremacists in positions of power. At 9.30, Carrie Marks will be in the Boulder studio for the Morning Sound Alternative. All that's still ahead, but first a look at the headlines with KGNU's Alyssa Palazzo. City and library officials will hold a groundbreaking ceremony for the new North Boulder Library just before noon today, barring any weather-related cancellation. This $12.5 million project has been in the works for over 30 years, following the declaration of the land as the preferred site back in the late 90s. The library will be a new center for adult language and literacy and after-school programs, supporting working families and fostering equity and environmental goals. The location is accessible by public transit and near the Boulder Meadows and Ponderosa mobile home parks, both historically underserved communities. In a press release, library director David Farnan said the library, quote, supports our community's love of learning, demonstrates our commitment to convenient and accessible public amenities, and celebrates the diverse experiences and cultures in Boulder. Project construction will take an estimated 10 to 20 months, with the expected opening in early 2024. One of Colorado's largest hospital systems announced yesterday its plan to split Common Spirit Health and Advent Health. The two entities have worked in partnership with Centura Health for 27 years. The reasoning given by the healthcare businesses for the dissolution of the partnership is that they believe they can better serve their patients by separate management of their hospitals. Common Spirit will manage 15 of the 20 hospitals in Colorado and Kansas, including Longmont United Hospital. Advent Health will manage the remaining five, including Avista Adventist Hospital in Louisville. Healthcare consultant Alan Baumgarten told the Colorado Sun the driving force behind the split is not immediately clear, but speculates there may be, quote, possible tensions over Catholic health directives, especially in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Common Spirit Health has a Catholic affiliation, and Advent Health has an affiliation with the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Centura Health will continue management of all 20 hospitals until the split is final. Colorado's House of Representatives passed a bill yesterday allowing homeowners to replace their broken, under-warranty gas appliances with energy-efficient electric ones. KGNU's Benina Lee has more. Democratic Representative Junie Joseph of Boulder said in a press release the bill will help Coloradans save money and reduce harmful indoor emissions. Researchers say gas appliances, like stoves, can emit unsafe nitrogen oxide levels indoors. The bill gives consumers the choice to replace several types of gas appliances, including stoves, ovens, furnaces, HVAC systems, and water heaters. 
The legislation will also require home warranty service contracts to explain minimum efficiency and performance standards so that consumers can make informed choices about appliances. For KGNU, I'm Benita Lee. A homeowner accused of starting the Tally Ho fire in Gun Barrel pleaded not guilty on Monday. KGNU's Juanita Hurtado has more. The homeowner is facing charges for a petty offense with a sentence of up to 10 days in jail and a fine of up to $300. The fire started in the afternoon of April 19, 2022, after the woman spread ashes from a backyard power fire, thinking they would be a good fertilizer. The ashes erupted into flame and spread to 10 acres. According to the Daily Camera, the charges account for damage to the yards and fences of eight residential properties as well as open space grassland. The pre-trial conference is scheduled for March 6. For KGNU, I'm Juanita Tardado. The Denver Department of Housing Stability, or HOST, converted Denver Recreation Centers into emergency overflow shelters last evening for people experiencing homelessness during the winter snowstorm. The city is encouraging everyone to head indoors during the cold snap since freezing temperatures will persist over the next 48 hours. With lows near 15 degrees, it takes only 30 minutes to develop frostbite. The temporary shelters will remain available through Thursday night. The warming centers will offer access to books, computers, and other media sources, as well as water, restrooms, and places to rest. Unhoused individuals should plan to check in at, quote, front door referral centers, which are offering walk-up access and potential transport to other shelters if necessary. Be sure to stay bundled up and shovel your sidewalks this snowy Wednesday. There's a winter weather advisory from now until midnight Thursday. In Denver, Boulder, and Longmont, expect highs near 17 degrees, with lows as cold as negative 1 degree with wind chill. There's a 90% chance of snow during the day and a 30% chance tonight. For KGNU, I'm Melissa Palazzo. You are listening to The Morning Magazine on KGNU. I'm your host, Shannon Young. Yesterday, Adam Frisch announced he would again challenge Lauren Boebert to represent Colorado's 3rd District in Congress. The 2024 race will be a rematch of last November's midterm. A few days before his official announcement, Frisch spoke at an event in Telluride. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KOTO's Gavin McGough reports. Last election cycle... Adam Frisch's campaign for the House of Representatives was written off as a non-starter. He was a Democrat running in a rural district where less than 25% of voters were registered as Democrat and more than 35% were registered as Republican. On top of that, his opponent was the instantly recognizable incumbent Lauren Boebert. And yet, expected to lose by a landslide, Frisch's bid fell short by only 500 votes. At a meeting of the San Miguel County Democrats last weekend, Frisch reflected on conceding the election back in November. Because after that, I got hundreds of emails about saying how gracious it was that we conceded and that we actually told people, keep your money. And I would say about 80% of the feedback actually came back from Republicans. It was really interesting. And again, uh, it is heartbreaking to lose by that uh, when you add up how close the race was in the House and, and everything. 
There's obviously, we did put CD3 on the map. There's no doubt about that. The San Miguel Democrats were gathered at the Liberty Bar in Telluride to get organized for 2024 and knock some housekeeping needs out of the way. Frisch offered remarks at the event. He says the Democratic Party has lost ground in rural America. President Biden in 2021, fewer than 10 percent of, of the rural counties in the country. We have a very urban centric party. And my joke, which is not much of a joke, is the Democratic Party is 20 big cities, Aspen and Telluride and Nantucket. And that's pretty much all that's left of the Democratic Party. Colorado's third district makes up much of the western slope as well as parts of the southern front range and includes vast stretches of rural, traditionally Republican territory. In his remarks, Frisch says he believes voters, even those from the opposite party, are at heart interested in good, pragmatic governance. I'm just laser-focused on CD3, and it goes back to Colorado Water, Colorado Energy, Colorado Jobs, and we were very, very focused on that, and as I told people, I don't care how you voted in 2016 or 2020, I just, I ask you to think about you, your family, your business, and your community as you fill out the ballot for CD3. Because there are a lot of rational Republicans, frustrated Republicans that want someone to focus on the district and not themselves. Speaking with KOTO after his remarks, Frisch says the political moment is moving away from Trumpism, a transition which he saw in the run-up to the 2022 midterms. I, one of the bets I made was that I think Trumpism um, has peaked. It wasn't going to crash the next day, but obviously, you know, 14 months later, um, the biggest loser across the entire country on a macro result level was all of Trump's candidates, with the vast majority of them, crashed and burned. And the Republicans would have the Senate now if they ran more traditional Republicans and would have a lot more of the House than they do. What comes next? Frisch says less of what he terms the political circus and more humble, focused decision-making in government. And so the momentum that should go forward, especially in western and southern Colorado, is focus on the nuts and bolts of the job and treat people with respect and try to put your head down and do the work instead of seeking out as many cable news network channels as the current representative does. The question of whether Frisch will run again in 2024 hung in the air. Eleni Constantin, chair of the San Miguel County Democrats, thanked Frisch for attending the meeting and floats the possibility of 2024. So, Adam, you may have gotten an email from Adam recently that said, do you want me to run again? So this is our opportunity to tell him what San Miguel at the time of the event, Frisch had not yet declared a 2024 run, but it seems he heard the cheers loud and clear. On the morning of Tuesday, February 14th, Frisch announced he would once again challenge Bobert to represent Colorado's District 3. For KOTO, this is Gavin McGough. Specialized schools that serve Colorado students with intense behavioral, mental health, and special education needs are closing because they don't have enough funding. Reporter Melanie Asmar writes about the crisis in Chalkbeat, Colorado, and tells Rocky Mountain Community Radio's Maeve Conran about what the state is doing to stem the closure of facility schools. So facility schools are generally uh, schools inside of facilities that can be residential facilities where children live, or they can be day treatment facilities, or sometimes they're in hospitals. And they're often run by private organizations or nonprofit organizations. And school districts pay to send students 
to these facility schools. And we're talking about students who the school districts are, are struggling to serve because the students have very severe needs. So I know a report that was just released by the state just at the end of 2022 described these students as the state's most vulnerable students. So give us a sense of the students that are availing or of these services or being sent to the facility schools. So a lot of times it's students who have a very challenging behaviour because of that behavior, the students are, are struggling to access their education and the schools are struggling to serve them. You know, so these might be students who have a diagnosis um, like autism or um, an emotional disability, or, you know, they may be students who've experienced a lot of trauma and, you know, are just, are just really struggling to regulate themselves so that they can be in a classroom and kind of receive that education. What that might look like is is students... Educators have said students might be just completely shut down and like not engaging. Sometimes it looks like students, um, you know, getting very angry. Um, sometimes that includes physical, you know, a student might tip over a desk or, or throw a chair and, you know, they're just really dysregulated and can't access their education and they need treatment. Well, that report that I referenced, that came out of this working group that was created essentially by Colorado lawmakers. It has educators involved, facility school staff members, several others as well. They released those set of recommendations that was back in November, but they also identified some of the problems that are facing facility schools. So maybe let's start with that. What are some of the problems facing facility schools? The biggest problem is that they are disappearing. Uh, they're closing at a rapid rate. Um, in the past five years, the number of facility schools has shrunk by 30%. And so that makes it, it difficult when school districts have students who they're struggling to serve. They have no place to, to send them to get the treatment, oftentimes the mental health treatment that they need. And so that is kind of the biggest problem. And the reason that they're closing is often due to financial reasons, uh, funding. You know, the facility schools will say, we don't have enough funding to stay open. And there have been some changes in, in federal law that have changed some of the funding streams coming into some of these facilities. And it's just really caused them, you know, to not be able to keep their doors open. And it's also really hard for them to find staff because often they can't pay as much as a school district. So, you know, they also need special education teachers and physical therapists and speech therapists, but those folks can often make more working for someone else. I know there is a list of the facility schools in the state that the Colorado Department of Education has on its website. And just looking at that, you can see that there are very, very few services available, especially for Western Colorado, but really rural areas in the state. There has been a real problem for access for students in rural areas. Yes, that's another huge, huge problem. Most of these facilities are located along the Front Range. So if there are, are students in, in rural Colorado who need more services than a school district can provide, you know, sometimes they're looking at like very long bus rides, like a two-hour bus ride each way, or they're, they're essentially having to go to a residential facility on the front range, or sometimes a residential facility out of state. And that means, you know, separating them from their families and, and parents often do not want that. You know, no one wants to be separated from their child, 
especially when their their child is struggling so much. And so that is a major tension and a problem that lawmakers are are looking to solve. In addition to identifying the issues facing facility schools, that working group also released a set of recommendations. You've touched on some of those around funding, but that issue around the accessibility of these schools and placements anyway, um, one of the things that they're saying is, is there a way to empower school districts to better serve the needs of these students, which would hopefully stop them having to travel so far away or go to residential facilities. Talk talk about that recommendation. Yeah, this is a a recommendation for essentially like a a training centre that would, you know, sort of be run by the Colorado Department of Education and they would help train um, school districts to serve students with very intense needs. I think oftentimes, yeah, districts don't feel equipped to do that, especially if they're we're only talking about a handful of students a year. Well, I know that this is a relatively small group that are being impacted. But as we said at the outset, this is often the most vulnerable students in a school district. And I think right now the figures are about 800 students are being served in facility schools. But from your report, Melanie, it seems that that could be the tip of the iceberg. And in fact, that's that's quite uh, an underrepresentation of the actual need. Give us a sense of how many students are either in facility school placement right now, but the bigger number, potentially the students that should be getting better served by these services in school districts. Yeah, I don't I don't have a, an exact number and I'm not sure the state does either. They're kind of talking about, you know, right now there are this group of students that are served in facility schools and, and some students don't stay the entire year. The goal of a facility school is to kind of stabilize a student, get them some treatment and then eventually integrate them back into their home school in their home district. And so some students only stay for like six months. Some do stay for a year or longer Uh, So it's kind of a fluctuating number, but the state is talking about this other group of students who probably need these services, but there's no room for them. And students who have um, other needs, maybe slightly less intense needs, but could still benefit from a treatment program who right now, kind of because they're not rising to the very top of that scale of need, aren't getting those specialized services there is potentially other groups of students who could benefit from from treatment programs that just don't exist right now. Well, I know you're continuing to report on this and you really want to find out the impact on families and students. And so you're actually looking to speak with, well, not just family students, but also educators and staff who are all dealing with this particular issue. So there's a survey that Chalkbeat Colorado has created to that end. Talk about who you'd like to hear from. Definitely. Yeah, we'd like to hear from from anyone, you know, whose sort of life touches uh, the facility school world. You know, if we'd love to hear from school district educators, teachers in school districts and administrators who are trying to refer students to facility schools, maybe struggling to find placements. We'd love to hear um, from folks who work at facility schools about what that's like and, and some of the struggles they're facing in, in you know, um, keeping their doors open, serving students. And we'd especially love to hear from families, from parents who've had to kind of wrestle with this decision, um, who've had, you know, good experiences with facility schools, not so good experiences with facility schools, or even adults who attended one of these as a child um, and could look back. So yeah, we have a survey. And if you fill it out, a reporter will probably reach out to you for an interview. We'd love to hear from you. This, the uh, web address is 
dot at slash survey. And I know that it's also linked in the article that you've written on this topic at Chokebeat at co.chokebeat.org and it's Colorado looks to stem the closure of schools for students with intense needs and it's by Melanie Asmar. Thanks so much Melanie for being our guest today. Thank you. We go now to Chris Moore's weekly commentary Make Them Hear You. Make Them Hear You. This is Make Them Hear You with ideas on how you can have your voice heard before Congress. Currently, about 40% of Americans pay no federal income tax, mostly people in lower income brackets. The tax code is still progressive, theoretically meaning that higher income people generally pay a higher percentage of their income than lower income folks. The most regressive of all the taxes is the sales tax, because the poorer you are, the more of your income is used to buy the things you need to live. Upper middle class and wealthy people may spend half or less of their income on personal consumption, versus almost 100% for the lower income people. To destroy what remains of our progressive tax system, the GOP Freedom Caucus is proposing to abolish the IRS and estate taxes and replacing every federal tax with a national 30% sales tax, shifting the tax burden from wealthy incomes to the middle and lower class. Kevin McCarthy promised members of the Freedom Caucus to give their proposal a hearing in the Ways and Means Committee and a floor vote. This bill is designed to benefit the wealthy, On January 10th, Georgia Representative Earl Buddy Carter, Republican from Georgia, introduced the Fair Tax Act, which would also send out prebate checks to soften the blow on lower-income families, all while abolishing the Internal Revenue Service. The law would require all states to participate and start collecting the new federal sales tax, in addition to any state-level taxes they may already collect. And under the federal sales tax proposal, all retail goods would be taxed, while many states currently exempt certain types of goods from taxes, like clothing and groceries. Eggs and other staples would go up in price by 30%. The top 1% of earners in the country would receive an average tax cut of $75,000, according to the Brookings Institute, while the bottom 90% of earners would see a net tax hike. Some economists have even argued that a national sales tax is a good way to slow the economy down, reducing inflation and boosting the national savings rate. To ensure states and businesses are complying, the Fair Tax Act would create two new federal agencies under the Department of the Treasury, an Excise Tax Bureau and a Sales Tax Bureau. They would take the place of the IRS. The new MAGA House members have laid out their top economic priorities, the Fair Tax Act, shielding ultra-wealthy tax cheats by slashing or eliminating funding for the IRS, threatening default on the national debt, and in some cases cutting back on Social Security and Medicare. The Fair Tax Act will be dead on arrival if it ever manages to make it to Biden's desk, but it will force Republicans to go on record supporting the most aggressive tax plan in over a century. Meanwhile, Bloomberg is confirming what Biden claimed in his State of the Union address, quote, House Republican Committee and caucus chairs are pushing to create panels as part of any debt limit deal, increasing the eligibility to age 70, targeting younger Americans who have yet to obtain federal benefits. If you have thoughts on the Fair Tax Act, you can contact your senators and representative. This is Chris Moore with Make Them Hear You. It's now time to check in with herbalist Brigitte Mars, who brings us her weekly episode of Naturally. Greetings. Welcome to Naturally. This is Brigitte Mars to talk a little bit about what are some of our local antimicrobials. You know, so often when we're sick, we look to the far reaches of the world to find herbs that grow maybe in India or China or places that maybe we don't get to go to very often. And yet, 
this continent abounds with natural antimicrobial things. So you need to look no further than your spice cabinet. If you feel like you're coming down with something in the middle of the night, you can make a tea out of oregano or thyme. Thyme is so antimicrobial that Listerine uses it to guarantee to kill germs. But I bet you have garlic in your house. Garlic is amazing antimicrobial. And when you're sick, think about baking a sweet potato and putting four or five cloves of raw garlic in it. Cooked garlic is not as medicinal. So, you know, this is not an excuse to eat garlic bread or garlic toast when you're sick. You want to do that garlic raw, blend it into your salad dressings. I bet you have cayenne pepper in your realm. Cayenne pepper, super antimicrobial. I mean, what bacteria, germs, fungi, viruses can dare to survive the scorching rage of cayenne pepper. So cayenne pepper, you should have a shaker of it on your table along with that black pepper. And, you know, there's a really awesome remedy called fire cider, which is so easy. You can make it yourself at home. You simply stuff a jar with chopped onion, lots of garlic, maybe some horseradish, maybe some ginger, and then you cover it all with apple cider vinegar. I like to do this around the time of the full moon, you know, kind of be in line with other people making their full moon tinctures. And then you let it sit for a month, a whole month until the next full moon. And then you strain it. You can strain it through a paint strainer bag. And then you can add honey. This fire cider is an age-old remedy that will chase those viruses into oblivion. Yes, Fear no more. You can even like put a spoon of fire cider in a cup of hot water and drink it up. It's so good. There's so many things that grow right around us. So thanks for joining me, Brigitte Mars on Naturally. That's a wrap for today's Morning Magazine. I've been your host and producer, Shannon Young. Stay tuned for a Lost Highways documentary on Colorado's Black undercover Klansmen from History Colorado. That's coming up after the latest commentary from Jim Hightower. But first, the headlines from the BBC.